When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. the mini break your date podcast for the biggest storylines results and controversies from the tennis world today is wednesday october 11th it was a surprising wednesday of results in the pro tennis world you had upsets on both the men's and women's side of things thus we have plenty of topics to explore on today's show of course the headline that exists above all others grigor dimitrov's three-set upset victory over top seed carlos alcaraz in shanghai look we've been beating the drum here at crack rackets for much of the past month you look at the numbers or just use your eyes grigor dimitrov's playing some of the best tennis of his career in 2023 and even in the midst of that i still did not see this victory coming for Dimitrov to serve for the first set, be broken in the fashion that he was to see Alcaraz then take that first set. You felt like, all right, the world number two, he's got it. He's going to cruise from there. But no, Grigor, whether it was his athleticism, whether it was his shot making, whether it was just his boldness under pressure, he continues to bring his best tennis again, delivering the upset victory of the day in Shanghai. Three-set win over Carlos Alcaraz. But of course, the entire draw in Shanghai, it's gotten a little funky. Only one top 10 player remaining as we enter the quarterfinal round, of course, on Wednesday night in Shanghai, Tuesday uh, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning here in America. We saw the second half of the round of 16 play out in Shanghai. I want to talk you through not just Dimitrov's victory, but of course wins from Rublev, Yari, Ugo Umber here on today's show. And then I want to finally introduce our three women's events of the week. We've got a 500-level tournament in Zhengzhou, two 250 events in Seoul, Hong Kong, respectively tons of top players in the world in action particularly when you look at that 500-level event. Now, we have seen a wave of upsets early on. Seeds, Maria Sakkari, Caroline Garcia, Veronica Kudermatova, Donna Vekic already knocked out of the event. We'll talk about how they were knocked out, who is going to take advantage of that draw chaos. Certainly looks like it could be another big week for China's Zheng Chinwen as she delivered that straight set victory over Maria Sakkari and now has positioned herself so well for another late season push up the rankings. Again, I want to break down all aspects of that 500-level draw in Zhengzhou. We'll talk about the 250 in Seoul. Jessica Pagula in action there. She's got a very fun round of 16 battle against fellow American and big-hitting Ashlyn Kruger. We can talk about how those two reached the second round of action, talk about the rest of what has been a fairly chaotic draw in Seoul. Tons of seeds already eliminated as we approach the back half of the round of 16. And then again, even though it's three events deep, I really like the draw in 
Hong Kong. We talk about this theme all of the time with where we're at in the calendar. Spots start to open up for players who may not otherwise get the opportunity to play tour-level events or perhaps see that opportunity for them to progress in tour-level events. Well, with 22 and under stars like Mira Andreva, Leila Fernandez, Linda Fruvertova, Wang Xinyu, all still in action in Hong Kong. There are plenty of things to watch for as a tennis fan this week. So again, what I want to do on today's show, set the scene for all three of our WTA Tour level events. And then, to be honest... I got some challenger thoughts on my mind. I've been watching Thomas Mychek. I apologize if I butchered that pronunciation, but the check now into the top 80 of the live rankings for the first time in his career. I believe that comes on the back of back-to-back challenger title victories. You have a push up the rankings from the Svida man, two-time Kalamazoo champion Zach Svida, the young American, just gets better and better with every passing day at the little things that I think will ultimately define his ceiling. So some thoughts on some action that's unfolded of late at the challenger level going to be snuck into the ending of this show as well. Again, it's a jam-packed podcast for all of you listeners. Now, I do want to point you to a couple of other conversations we've had of late here at Crack Rackets before we really get rocking and rolling here on this show. If you're a college tennis fan, you're well aware the ITA All-American event, one of the three biggest, most significant individual events of the college tennis season. It's officially in the books. If you want to hear a recap of all of the men's action from Tulsa, go check out John Parsons No Ad No Problem podcast. He was kind enough to host me in the first half of our Home and Home series. We then had him on our Great Shot podcast feed to break down all the Division I women's action from Kerry. So if you're a college tennis fan, Those are two podcast conversations I've been a part of recently. You might be interested in, again, No Ad, No Problem podcast and the Great Shot podcast feed. Make sure to go like, rate, subscribe, review each of those shows. Of course, we also always have fantastic conversations happening over on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed. If you've missed any of them, be sure to check them out. We try to make sure those conversations are structured to age well and that you're able to listen to them regardless of how far in the past they may have come out. So we've had the opportunity to talk to so many cool players over the years. Peyton Stearns is J.J. Wolfs, Rajiv Rams of late. If you're interested in those sorts of conversations, make sure, again, go like, rate, subscribe, review to the Cracked Interviews podcast as well. All of that content housed on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Shout out to Westoff. Makes it all possible. Shout out to the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point here on this show. Tennis-Point.com for all of the latest and greatest products at the best prices in the tennis world. Use our promo code CR15 to let them know that we sent you there. All right, let's get into a surprising Wednesday in the pro tennis world. I think we got to start in Shanghai. I mean, what Grigor Dimitrov was able to pull off in his three-set come-from-behind victory over Carlos Alcaraz in the round of 16. It was stunning. It was a signature victory that perhaps Grigor has been lacking. And again, what has otherwise been a very successful season. You look for Grigor Dimitrov, 63.6% win percentage so far this year. That, again, number is based off of his 36-18. and 18. Okay, so that's actually wrong. 36-18 and 18 overall, all of those matches happening at the uh, ATP level, but I see the first metric I look to excluded some qualifying results. He's 36-18 and 18 overall, though, on the year. I'm going to include those because that means it's a two-thirds win percentage, and that two-thirds win percentage 
is the third best win percentage of his career in a single season. You have 2014, his real breakout season into the top 25, where he went 50-17 and 17 overall. You have, of course, the 2017 season where he wins the Tour Championships, 49-19 and 19 overall, 72% win percentage. And then you have this age 32 season where, again, Grigor Dimitrov, 36-18 and 18 overall on the year. He's now into his seventh quarterfinal, excuse me, eighth quarterfinal of the season, that eight number for those of you curious, because of course I have the metrics available, the, uh, our dear friends at Tennis Abstract, eight quarterfinals overall on the season, that's a top 10 number. Now, you know, trails some of the big dogs, Medvedevs, Alcaraz, Sinners, Zverev, Djokovic, Rublev, and Demonauer, but those have been, what, eight of the 12 best players in the world this season. And then right behind them is Grigor Dimitrov, who, by the way, in reaching the quarterfinals here in Shanghai, he's back up to number 18 in the live rankings. In the points race, he's sitting at 17 overall. He's put together another top 20 season this year. I don't think there's any doubt about that. You look at where his quarterfinals have come. Did any of them come at the slams? No, but to do it at this 1,000 level event in Shanghai, to do it at 500 level events in Beijing, in DC, in Queens Club, he's been pretty good at the big events this season. And in a lot of slams, he did his best to hold seed. You look at him, US Open, the four set loss to Dimitrov, but again, uh, to Zverev, excuse me, but again, he was the 19 seed. Sphere of the 12 seed, so that's holding seed. Wimbledon, he makes a fourth round, actually knocks off Tiafo in round three before losing in four sets to Holger Runa. I would consider that a win. Fourth round Roland Garros, considering that's a slam where he's had the least amount of success. Hold seed there actually goes one further as he was the 28 seed. I would consider that a win. And then, you know, as the 27 seed, third round exit in Australia to Novak Djokovic. Grigor Dimitrov has held seed all season long. And it's amazing what sort of wonders that will do for your rankings when, again, you just beat the players you're supposed to beat. He's 23-2 and two against opponents ranked outside the top 50 this season. Last year, he was 15-11. and 11. 2021, he was 10-9 and nine against those players. 2019, 13-8. What's the thing Grigor Dimitrov has done better than anything else this year? What's allowed him to return to this form? He's beating who he's supposed to beat. He's holding serve 92.6% of the time against opponents ranked outside the top 50. And that gets back to him getting back to the basics. The serve, the plus one, his footwork and his just poise and his balance in finding those first forehands and getting around that ball in the ad side corner. Again, he is playing elite tennis this season. and uh, Elite tennis in that sense this season. And he needed every bit of that in his victory over Carlos Alcaraz. Again, a 5-7-6-2-6-4 victory over the top seed. Again, what was so amazing about this result for Dimitrov was the fact that he served for the opening set. He's up 5-4. He gets the early break over Alcaraz, and you know he gets that break by connecting on a couple of returns in particular. I thought he did a great job of attacking the Alcaraz forehand with pace. That seems to be the recent scouting report of late, is if you go into attacking that Alcaraz forehand side, you can coax a few errors out of the big hitting Spaniard, and... Look, well, again, what was so fascinating was to see Alcaraz lock in as Dimitrov is serving for the set 5-4. They play this these immense, long, physical rallies that, you know, ultimately end with Alcaraz connecting 
on a forehand in particular down the line that just eventually would coax a backhand error out of Grigor Dimitrov. They then, you know, again, Alcaraz connects on a couple of returns, hits this ridiculous forehand short angle as well to set up a, a situation where, again, I think he knocks off an easy volley. Alcaraz locked in. He did all the things Carlos Alcaraz does to typically get himself out of those situations. And again, when Dimitrov sends a plus one forehand long, and I should say the way he saved the first set point, 1540 in his 5-6 surface game with an inside out forehand that was so bold to hit at that moment. It's a recognition that, look, if I don't go for this shot, I'm probably going to lose the point anyways. I'd rather go down swinging. That mentality ultimately pays off for Dimitrov in the long run. But, you know, he makes that forehand on the next point. He sends an inside in plus one forehand long like that. Alcaraz takes the 7-5 first set. And again, you just think to yourself, all right. Carlos got himself out of the jam. He'll excel from here and pull away as Carlos Alcaraz seems to always do. But no, Dimitrov comes right out of the gates, breaks Alcaraz to start the second set, holds on to that break. Again, a 6-2 second set going the way of Dimitrov. And again, to see the way how he closed things out, moving forward whenever possible, the drop volley he executes to set up the match point. I mean, are you kidding me? There's a reason he fell on his behind while hitting that volley. It's because the weight of Alcaraz's passing shots are that immense. And for Dimitrov to not only be able to handle the weight of that shot, but to put that sort of spin, that sort of touch on his volley response as well, it speaks to the touch, the hands that, that Dimitrov possesses. I mean, again, for him to move as fluidly as he did, the in and out of corners, for him to just that first step for Dimitrov, it feels like at times he is gliding right now. He's sliding so fluidly into his shots on these hard courts. Again, he's knocking off Folly so confidently, faced just five break points in the match, fought three of them off, did what you really need to do, which is make first serves. 72% of them he makes against Alcaraz was 73% of those first serve points. Again, you can't give Alcaraz clean looks at anything because if you do, he'll take a big cut at the forehand and now you're trailing immediately. I also thought, more than anything, Dimitrov hit his passes really well out of the corner. You could tell his slice, getting that ball low on Carlos, not giving Carlos anything in his strike zone to tee off on. That was making Carlos uncomfortable. And so what was Alcaraz's adjustment was to play an approach shot off of any low slice or try to hit a chip response and chip and charge behind it in return. And you know Dimitrov found his passes as well, a short angle down the line, whatever it may be. Look again, this is a signature victory for Grigor Dimitrov, who despite the 23-2 and record against top 50 opponents this year, which by the way is remarkable, uh, he's, you know, 13-16 and 16 against the top 50. He's 7-12 and 12 against the top 20. 5-8 and eight against the top 10 actually ain't too shabby, but, you know, again, hadn't beaten a top 5 player this season. I know he got a win over Runa in Beijing, but that version of Runa was not a top five player. This version of Alcaraz is certainly a top five player. And again, it's a signature victory for a Grigor Dimitrov who is just playing some of the best tennis of his career. On the other end for Alcaraz, do you think I have any concerns coming out of this match? Absolutely not. He has yet to lose 10 matches this season. Is he going to crack the 90% threshold that I thought might be possible? It's going to be tight. Needs a big result in Paris. Probably needs a big tour finals as well. Again, could he hit 70 wins as a 20-year-old? Crazy to think it's still in play. Seven away at 63-9. and nine. You know, this is the first event 
er, excuse me, this is just the second event of the season that Carlos Alcaraz has played where he didn't make the quarterfinals of said event. It's now this where he loses to Dimitrov and of course the Rome Masters where he loses to Shanghai quarterfinalist Fabian Marazan. He's played two events this year, two events where he hasn't at least reached the quarters. I'm feeling fine about Carlos Alcaraz. Again, it was it, it required Grigor Dimitrov's absolute best tennis to beat him. And again, Alcaraz was spraying a bit on that forehand wing, tried to hit himself out of problems. I just thought he rushed everything. When again, those long sustained physical rallies, they were going about 50-50. I don't know why he didn't turn back to that tactic when he has that underlying physicality, would have had that patience, I thought, to ultimately potentially draw a short ball from Dimitrov. But again, with how aggressively Dimitrov was hitting his forehand, maybe that was not going to be the case. Again, it was a perfect game, I thought, for Grigor Dimitrov. He advances to the Shanghai quarterfinals, where a date with Nicolas Yari awaits. And again, to more rapidly rapid fire through the rest of these results, because I thought the rest were pretty straightforward. He blinked at the end of the second set. Missed a bad overhead, particularly on set point in a game where he really should have broken Schwartzman back to extend the set to a breaker. It was the patience of 28-year-old Nicolas Yari, who, by the way, happy birthday to the 28-year-old. It's his birthday today. He's six to five days younger than me. But, of course, this day, October 11th, significant for two reasons, three reasons. One, it's Nicolas Yari's birthday. Two, October 11th, the day of my bar mitzvah. Three... It's also my college roommate and original senior producer of this podcast, Michael Azaparty's birthday today. Happy birthday to Michael. Does he get a sound effect? He's never going to listen to this, but yeah, Westoff, give him a happy birthday sound effect. Happy birthday! The reason he deserves that sound effect, I've told this story before, just a quick tangent here, because again, he deserves this. There was a time when I was working in Ann Arbor after college where I would have to record these podcasts early in the evening when I was done with work. I wouldn't have time to drive home. He was in dental school at Michigan, so we were still around one another, and I would just go to his apartment after work every day and say, hey, man, I need to use your studio apartment where the bed is behind the desk, and I need you to sit quietly here for about an hour as I conduct this interview, and this is how you know someone loves you, and we do love one another. Um, He would do it. (laughs) He would just sit there quietly, and... A shout out to Michael. Happy birthday to him. Happy birthday to Nicolas Yari. Michael, for what it's worth, October 11th, 94. So a year older than Yari. Older than me. Same grade, though. Thus, obviously, I'm smarter than him. Um, happy birthday to an original senior producer of this show, Michael Azaparty. Happy birthday to Nicolas Yari, who rings in 28 with a continued success in what has been a career breakout season. You look for Yari now 41 and 18 overall on the year. You want to circle in on just ATP level events. Fine. He's 36 and 16 overall. The most victories he's had at this level in his career. You look now, he's made the quarterfinals at seven different tour level events and he's done it on all three surfaces, clay, grass, hard court. It's because that big serve, that big forehand, It translates across continents. It translates across surfaces. But more than anything, again, it was the patience he displayed against Schwartzman. He was willing to wait till that seventh, eighth, ninth look in the rally where Schwartzman left something either a little high in his strike zone or a little short in the court to where he could tee off on that forehand. I think he comes over the top of the backhand far more confidently than he did even when he was having success early in his career. And look, I've said this Since we founded this podcast, I do think 
the telltale sign of the 2020s, 2030s. I think that's the next shift, and we've seen it go a little more slowly than I anticipated. But the 6'4", 6'5", 6'6", freakazoid athletes in the sense of they are that big, yet they're still fluid as movers and can play these weapons from the baseline. They don't just have to rely on that first serve and serve and volley in the way behemoths of the past perhaps were forced to. Again, it was the Marin Cilic model that extended into a Medvedev, a Zverev, even to some extent a Tsitsipas, who's, don't forget, Tsitsipas is 6'4". He is a big guy uh, in person. Obviously, you've got guys like Yari, Eubanks, Shelton, Korda. Some height is making its return. And uh, again, life is just easier when you can hit bombs 135 and then you can follow it up with anything else. And Nicolas Yari has developed that anything else quite well. Again, he's in the midst of a career season in making the quarterfinals in Shanghai. Yari up to a new career high, number 21 in the live ranking. So Again, it was the patience more than anything else that impressed me. He ends Diego Schwartzman's run in Shanghai. For what it's worth, Yari 2-0 in the career head-to-head against Dimitrov. It's a massive opportunity for both men. Of course, your other two results, not much to discuss in Ugo and Bear's 1-2 victory over J.J. Wolf. A good run for the American. But look, Ugo's just back. We've talked about it. For the past three months here on this show, Umber now, the 25-year-old who obviously fell outside the top 100 last season. He's 41-23 overall on the year, 25-20 and 20 in tour-level events. But you look at what he's done since the end of Wimbledon. Semifinals Newport, semifinals Atlanta, quarterfinals Washington, quarterfinals Beijing, quarterfinals Shanghai so what that's quarterfinals or further in five of his last eight events and again what were the losses in those other three he lost round of 32 to Fritz in Canada round of 32 to Tommy in Cincinnati first round to Berrettini that was the disappointing one at the U.S. Open but sometimes Berrettini gonna Berrettini look though again I've said it all year long the race for the top-ranked Frenchman is fascinating Manorino sitting at 24 Umber now back up to 29 in the live rankings with this result. There is currently 81 points of separation between them in the live rankings. And we still got plenty of tennis left on the calendar. That race is real. Wolf struggled to deal with the pace of Umber, who was just striking the ball so perfectly. Again, he was dominant in his victory. Now it sets up a funky matchup. Two big hitters in Ugo Umber and Andre Rublev and Perhaps some of you may have forgotten, Umber knocking off Rublev 7-6 in the third when they faced off in Beijing just last week. Rublev, for what it's worth, 3-2 advantage in the career head-to-head. Rublev, a 5-5 win, was down 4-2 in the opening set. Comes back to take it, 5-5 over Tommy Paul. I believe it was his first top 15 win since Monte Carlo earlier this season, and yet for Rublev into another quarterfinal at a Masters event. He's currently sitting at six in the live rankings, I believe, with this victory. He has just about clinched his spot in the year-end finals. I mean, again, there's about a 240-point gap between him and sixth-place Tsitsipas, but perhaps more pressingly now, about a 900-point gap between he and ninth-place Taylor Fritz. And they're both going to keep playing down the home stretch of this season. So Rublev's looking good to make another tour finals. And again, man, he just keeps on swinging. You know exactly what you're going to get from every Andre Rublev performance, for better or for worse. And, you know, again, that's two big hitters. You want to see the covers whacked off the ball. You want to see guys who, when you give them an inch, they take a foot. 
That's the battle we have in our quarterfinals. A funky set of quarterfinals. It's Dimitrov versus Yari. Again, Yari 2-0 in the career head-to-head, though, for what it's worth. Dimitrov 67.4% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. Rublev versus Umber. Rublev 3-2 career head-to-head advantage, 67.6 advantage, according to Tennis Abstract. You have Hubi Hercots versus Fabian Marozan. Hercots, by the way, at 30%, the favorite now to take the title. He's a 90% favorite over Marazan. And then my favorite matchup of them all, Ben Shelton, Sebi Korda. Korda, the 57.9% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. First career matchup between the two. Two young Americans you hope to see and maybe even expect to see do battle for much of the next decade. Not a single top 10 player other than Rublev still alive in Shanghai on the men's side. I'm fascinated. Look, David Kane brings up a point. There would be a thread, a narrative, a narrative I try to ignore here at Cracked Rackets. But if this was a WTA 1000 level draw, this level of, you know, again, that you don't have a signature face remaining amongst this group, there would be some criticism. And yet I treat it just like we treated the Guadalajara draw when you had a Sakari left, but also a Kennan and a Dalahide and just all this funkiness. I love it. This is what post-U.S. Open tennis is all about. Who is going to make the most of an unexpected opportunity and all of a sudden position themselves beautifully for the upcoming uh, next season? Because, look, if you're Ben Shelton, you talk yourself into, hey, I semi U.S. Open, I quartered Shanghai or better to end the season. I am one of the 10 or 15 best hardcourt players in the world. My results show that this season, despite the inconsistency. I think you can talk yourself into that argument. If you're Sebi Korda, hey, I've now made quarterfinals or further at four of my last five events. I finaled Astana. I semi-finaled or finaled Shanghai as well. Forget the fact that I was injured the middle third of the season. I'm back, baby. I'm right where I want to be as I head into my age 23 season. And like, again, Umber, same deal. He's built his way all the way back. Nicolas Yari, you can take a deep breath in those first month of the season. You don't have to play every South American clay court, hardcore turn, uh, clay court tournament in February because you've padded your stats a little bit. If you win one of those South American clay court events, you can rest the next week, rest up for Rio, rest up for the event in his home country of Chile, which I know always means so much to Yari to play. If you're Dimitrov and win this event, you're 32 years old and you're like, wait, I just won another 1,000-level title, something only Dimitrov, Hercots, and Rublev remaining in this draw have done. And like, you know, again, you're talking yourself into, wait, am I back in the mix here? Because I have played that well of late. And again, Dimitrov's won two-thirds of his matches. You know my two-thirds rule. You're winning two-thirds of them. You're just continuing to progress up the rankings. And then, of course, there's Fabian Marazan, who's like, yo, I'm with the big boys now. I'm top 100. I'm getting into the Australian Open. I'm getting into the French Open. My life's going to be a little bit different next year. I got to look at what my schedule is going to be. Again, I'm fascinated by this 1,000-level event quarterfinal draw, even if there's only one top 10 player remaining. Hoopy Hercots signs of life after what has been a pretty forgettable season uh, for the former Miami Open champion. Let's rock and roll. Let's have some fun on the men's side. Certainly look forward to doing precisely that as we continue our coverage of that event throughout the course of the week. That said, I now want to flip over to the WTA side of things where three events. What more could you ask for as a tennis fan? A little something to watch for at everything. Let's start with the 500 level action in Zhengzhou. Again, 
We've had some seeds already upset. I would say most notably was the upset of third-seeded Maria Sakari. She didn't play poorly. She got outclassed by Jung Chin Wen, and I mean that in the purest sense of it was just a stark reminder of what the 21-year-old from China's ceiling looks like. Her ability to just take the racket out of an opponent's hand, dare I say, and you've heard me say it in the past, say it along with me, Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. She's got weekend privileges. In fact, she's someone we've been circling for a while. She's been through the caddy system. She's been through the training ground. She's someone who just seems destined for success because when she's not, you know, when she has time to line up the forehand, she can take it line. She can hit through the court cross. She can get outside the ball and hit through the court with angle cross court. She can drive her backhand line so purely. She absorbs pace, I think, even better on the backhand wing than she does the forehand where she does need a little bit of time to get into that backswing. But of course, on top of all of that is the serve. I mean, come on now. You look for Jung Chin Wen, who currently sits at 13th in hold percentage amongst top 50 WTA Tour players this season. That underlying first serve was the difference in this match between her and Sakari. She was just able to generate a few more free points. And I think that sort of pressure on Sakari is what generated a few plus one errors. It was what generated a few shakier serves that Chin Wen was just able to tee off on on the return. And then, of course, she's a fluid mover. Gets in and out of corners well, does great moving forward, can execute on the volley. I thought she played a darn near perfect tiebreak to close out again that first set, 7-6. She wins it 7-2 again, held on to her break of serve in that second set, despite Sakari starting to play some pretty good tennis down the home stretch. And, you know, Chin Wen's broken once, just once in this 7-6-6-3 victory against a Maria Sakari, who was playing well, who was finding the forehand short angle, who was finding the plus one forehand, who was trying to implement some physicality into this match to extend rallies to buy herself time. The problem is the second you provide time to Jung Chin Wen, she's around that ball, she's loaded up on the forehand, and she can absolutely explode through it. And so again, for Jung Chin Wen, who, tough draw, certainly in Beijing, she deals with Rabakina, the semifinalist, who she loses 2-1-2 and in that opening match for her to get a win over Osakari here, now a very winnable quarterfinal against an Angelina Kenlanina, where she certainly walks on the court with the biggest weapons, despite her 0-2 career head-to-head result there. Again, Chin Wen, who's obviously dealt with some pretty weird coaching scenarios of late. Wim Fissette leaving Chin Wen after their run of success. You know, they win Palermo together, quarterfinals of the U.S. Open. But then, of course, Fissette's former charge, Naomi Osaka, announcing her return to the tour. Fissette, in my opinion, understandably, feeling some loyalty towards Osaka, trying to find a way to uh, ultimately, I think, makes the decision to go back and work with her. Now, you would really hope there would have been a pre-existing arrangement between he and Jung Chin Wen to say, hey, if this Osaka option becomes available again, I just think professionally I owe my career to her. I have to take it. It seems like that conversation was never had, and that's a definite professional error. And a criticizable offense off of Wim Fissette and Junction Wen has every right to be absolutely furious to lose her coach in that sort of fashion when if he was saying to her, no, I'm sticking with you no matter what, like, can't do that. Through it all, again, Junction Wen has ended her season quite strongly. And given she had some serious points to defend from the end of last season where she finaled, or right, made that final in Tokyo, 
you know, again, quarterfinals here at this 500-level event, a winnable quarterfinal match against a Kalanina and an open bottom half of the draw where, yes, Ludmilla Samsonova, last week's finalist, gets a win over Tatiana Maria in round one. She's still alive in the event, but, you know, again, that's the only seed left in the bottom half of the draw is Caroline Garcia, knocked out in three cents by Jasmine Paolini. Paolini has had the quietest career season of maybe anyone on the WTA Tour. You look for Paolini now. She has, uh, I believe, with her run here in Guangzhou, she's now 35-27 and 27 overall on the year, but given the successes she's had, currently sitting at 35 in the rankings, four off her career high, which she reached back in September, you know, into another quarterfinal here this season. It's now her fourth tour-level quarterfinal of the season, six overall, of course. She also won a 125K title earlier this year, lost in the final in Palermo to Jung Chin Wen. She's not the biggest, but there's some spring in the shots of Jasmine Paolini and did just enough to keep to coax errors out of Garcia, who I thought was playing some pretty good ball, particularly in set number uh, set numbers one and three. You know, Garcia had three match points, was up five four. Paolini serving love forty. Paolini digs herself out of a jam. Two bad misses from Garcia, but then a beautiful Paolini backhand error uh, winner at thirty forty. She's through. She'll face the winner of Sigamund and Samsonova. Again, Chinwin versus Kalanina. That's your bottom half of the draw. Top half, a little funky as well. Donna Vekic knocked out 6-6 six and six by Sarenko. She's really struggled down the back half of the season. Uh, again, you also have a bunch of matches still to be played there. Uh, Krachikova going to take on Petra Martic. Uh, Jabur going to take on Bronzetti. Kasakina going to take on Baijiao. Xuan, uh, you look at your other round one upsets or upsets thus far. Zivana Reva knocking out Kudermatova in round number one. Right now, you look at the tennis abstract win projection. Uh, Jung Chin Wen, she's into the quarterfinals, so she's got a little extra percentage point advantage, but she's at 23-6. Jabur, 20%. Samsonova, 15-1. Krachikova, 13-2. Kasakina, 11%. That that's five top 25 players right there playing mid-October tennis on the calendar. Again, all eight spots in the tour finals are locked up, so we're playing for S's and G's, as the kids like to say. <sighs> Do I make a prediction? Do I think Samson over... No, I'm going Chin Wen to make the final. Do I think Jabur's got another... No, this feels like a Krechikova week. Give me Chin Wen versus Krechikova in the final and then Krechikova to take another title because it's weeks like this where Krechikova wins titles and just consolidates her top 15 spot. So I'll go with a funky Krechikova week. Krechikova over Chin Wen in the final, but that's your 500-level action in Zhengzhou. Uh, of course, you've also got two other 250 events. We'll move on to those now in Seoul, South Korea. The heavy favorite, of course is top seed in current world number four, Jessica Pagula. Pagula, according to Tennis Abstract, a 59.9% chance of winning the event. She got a two and four win to kick things off over Victoria Kuzmova. Up next, a date with the 19-year-old American big-hitting Ashlyn Kruger, who, of course, won her first title a couple of weeks ago. Um, I mean, look, that's a fun matchup in the sense that Kruger's got some serious weapons to put anyone under pressure, but you feel like the best form of Kruger actually looks a little bit like what Jessica Pagula, how she goes about asserting herself in every match that she plays. Pagula, a more fluid mover right now, but again, 
I think Kruger does have that first step, and I think she's gotten better and better at that fluidity, uh, at incorporating and in being more fluid, I suppose, in every sense of her game. But look, you had some upsets here as well. Six-seeded Alicia Parks knocked out in three set by the younger of the Kudermatovas, Polina. You had eighth-seeded Katie Bolter knocked out by, in my opinion, the always dangerous Kaya Yuvan. Fifth-seeded Sonia Kennan knocked out by Jung Soo Jung, one and four. Second-seeded Yelena Ostapenko knocked out seven-six in the third by Dion Back, the South Korean wild card. Only seeds remaining in the draw are, are top seed Jessica Pagula and fourth seeded Maria Boshkova. As you looked in round number two today, Claire Liu, the American big victory to advance to a quarterfinal. She knocks out Aranksa Rus. Liu trying to hold on to her top 100 spot, up eight spots as a result of this quarterfinal, up to number 90 as she tries to solidify her spot in the Australian Open main draw. Yanina Vickmeyer, 3-6 and six over number 3 seed Ekaterina Alexandrova in the round of 16 as well. It feels like a big Pagula week. feels like she should cruise to this title. I mean, again, Kruger, big weapons, but outside of that, you look at who's left in the top half of the draw, Lou, Vickmeyer, and Kudermatova. Does anyone have the weapons to seriously pressure Pagula after that Kruger match? Vickmeyer, sure, if it's 10 years ago. I don't know about now. If it's Pagula versus Marie Boshkova in the final, isn't that just the perfect matchup for Pagula? You're not going to beat her in a war of attrition, and you know she will death by a thousand paper cuts you in the most effective way. Big opportunity for former Michigan graduate Amina Bektis, who wins a first-round match and has a shot at a quarterfinal against Jung Shu Jung. Remember, Bektis was, is continuing to push towards the top 100. The 30-year-old at a career-high 115 in the live rankings. So shout-out to the former Michigan All-American. It's a funky draw. It really is in Seoul. I'm going to take Pagula. Pretty good draw for Bojkova. I'll go Bagula Bojkova in the final. Bojkova, by the way, kind of needs a final run in Seoul. Again, she's going to hold on to her top 40 ranking by making quarterfinals since he round four Wimbledon, round three U.S. Open. But outside of that, she's 22 and 22 overall on the season. She's made just two quarterfinals this year, one at the 100K in Oeris, uh, and then a quarterfinal in Cincinnati, where, by the way, she did beat Jessica Pagula four in love, but keep in mind, Pagula had won Canada the week prior, so that was a schedule loss as much as anything else. I'm sure Jesse would love the opportunity for a little bit of revenge. I'll take a Pagula-Boshkova final in Seoul. Give me Pagula to ultimately take the title. And then, last but certainly not least, on the WTA side of things, you look at the 250 event happening in Hong Kong. This one might sneakily actually be my favorite event of the week because you know all I care about, not all I care about, but my number one priority in watching late season tennis, unless there's a really juicy year-end finals race, is who are the young players that are going to step up? Who are the young players that are going to make the take advantage of the opportunities they have to play events in this portion of the calendar that they wouldn't otherwise and make the most of those draws? And you got a bunch of players doing so already in Hong Kong. It starts with Layla Fernandez, who I'm just telling you, she's playing top 50 tennis. The results say it. The eye test say it, says it. Fernandez ultimately advances over top seed Azarenka. Azarenka forced to withdraw before the start of the third with an injury, but... 
you look for Fernandez now again, 58 in the world, closing in on returning to the top 50, which is clearly where the 21-year-old belongs. She's going to take on 16-year-old Mira Andriva. Andriva 4-3 and over Diana Yastremska. Again, Andriva coming off of a big week in Beijing. That saw her knock out Krachikova, saw her knock out Pavlichenkova before going three sets with Rabakina. I mean, again, the 16-year-old right now, youngest player in the top 100. She's 48 in the live rankings, one of, I believe, six teenagers in the top 100 overall. It's Goff at three, Naskova at 41, Andriva 48, Schneider 70, Kruger 78, Fruvertova 86, six teenagers right now in the top 100. It's a good list. It's a good list. It is a good list uh, to be on in. Again, Andriva might be the most intriguing non-golf prospect of them all, not only because she's the youngest, but the physicality she brings, the ability to grind opponents down, plus the underlying weapons, which you feel like she's only going to grow more comfortable deploying. That matchup with Fernandez is a fun contrast. Andriva 1-0 in the career head-to-head. Looking forward to watching that one. Really excited for Linda Fruvertova, who, again, had a really tough stretch of matches in the middle of this season. There was a point where... uh, she lost, I think it was, ten, uh, excuse me, 14 of 16 matches consecutively. But now semifinals Ningbo beats Aronxa Rus in Beijing. Now a three-set win over Peyton Stearns to get a win in Hong Kong. Again, more than anything, Fruvertova needed wins. And with these wins, she should manage to hold on to her top 100 spot. Has a very fascinating match uh, taking on. Alenia Korneva, the 16-year-old Russian, one of the top juniors in the world, I believe. Korneva winning, what, three junior slams? Was it last year? She wins, ultimately, Junior Australian Open. Oh, excuse me, this year. She won Junior Australian Open. She won Junior French Open. She make the finals of Junior Wimbledon? She did not. Did she even play Junior Wimbledon? I don't know if she has, but she's already a top 150 player in the world. It's a name that has to be on your radar already. Fruvertova, Korneva. Andriva Fernandez is the top little 16th of the bracket there. Or that's the, uh, that was the Azarenka quarter of the draw. And it's, I mean, come on. Like that's, that's cracked rackets right there in a quarter. Fernandez versus Andriva, Kornieva versus Fruvertova. I might have to lead with Hong Kong tomorrow. I'm going to be locked into those matches. You should, too. Of course, as you progress through the rest of the draw, 22-year-old Wang Xinyu, the big-hitting righty from China, another impressive two and uh, well, up 6-2-4-1 before Alina Avenisian forced to retire. But you guys know my thoughts all in on Wang Xinyu, who is going to end this season inside the top 40. She'll take on the grind that is Sarah Saribes Tormo. Always a fun head to, uh, contrast of styles between those two. Wang Xinyu, the three-set victory when those two win head-to-head at the U.S. Open a few weeks ago. Winner of that will take on fifth-seeded Anna Blinkova, who has already advanced. You look at the bottom half of the draw, a little less fascinating, I'll be honest. Now, it's not that I disrespect Haddad Maya's 7-6-3-6-7-6 win over Alexandra Sasnovich. That's the most Haddad Maya scoreline of all time. She has a very fun matchup with Pavlochenkova in round number two. Winner of that will take on Sinyakova in the quarterfinals. You also have Mertens, Trevisan as seed still alive in that bottom half of the draw. But Fernandez, Andriva, Kornieva, Fruvertova. Again, 16-year-old Alina Kornieva. You're wondering, how has she gotten to this point? 16 years old. She's 39-9 and in her last 52 weeks. She's 51-13 and in her career at the tour level. Already 
four finals, three titles, including one at 100K in July. In pushing the chips in, Wednesday, October 11th, Maybe the, I think this is the first time we've brought up Alina Kornieva in a non-junior slam sense. I think I talked about her with Colette maybe once, but it's a name you have to know. Like Again, there are people who, are, who think Alina Kornieva is better than Mira Andriva right now. Those people exist in the world, and Andriva is one of the 50 best players in the world. So two teenagers you just got to keep your eyes on. Obviously one a little bit more noted in what she's accomplished thus far than the other, but uh, just again the 2007 Russians, the 2007 Russians. I, 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 where was I in 2007? I think 2007 was start of seventh grade, right? Cause I graduated class of 2013, which means 12, 13 was 12th grade. So seven, eight was seventh grade, seventh grade. I was already uh, starting to get old folks. Anyways, um, shout out to the 07s as they make their push. That's your look at everything happening at the WTA Tour level this week. We'll keep you updated on Guang, on Zhengzhou, uh, Seoul, and Hong Kong. Of course, there is a 125 in a row. And as well, if anything particularly notable happens there, uh, we will get back to that. But last but certainly not least, rapid fire through some challenger thoughts here to end today's show. Let's start with results in the past. Shout out to Thomas Mychek, the 23-year-old now, or no, soon to be 23-year-old. He's October 13th, 2000. Shout out to him in a couple of days. Mychek now uh, currently sitting at 79 in the live rankings. How did he get here? Well, back-to-back challenger titles, and he's made three challenger finals. He's won 14 of his last 15 challenger matches, finals in Cassius, title in Orleans, title last week in France as well. During that stretch, he's beaten Alex Muller, Richard Gasquet, Benjamin Bonzi, Max Cressy, Jack Draper, and of course, former Stanford All-American Arthur Ferry, who makes his first challenger final a big result for a man who just recently turned pro and is now already at 20 years old, up to 277 in the world, and really his first nine months of pro tennis action speaks to, if you're one of the best college tennis players in the world, you're probably also one of the best 300 top 300 players in the world. And I think Arthur Ferry is another data point. Ben Shelton, obviously all these guys of late proving that case to be true. Peyton Stearns, Emma Navarro on the women's side as well. Anyways, that was got me distracted. If you haven't watched Thomas Mychek play, he's just good at everything. Like solid off the forehand wing, solid off the backhand wing, moves well. Reminds me a lot of Matteo Arenaldi. I think there's some similarities in their games, but you win 14 of 15 challenger matches, and he's made, what, four different challenger finals this season. You have our attention, Thomas Mychek, a guy you got to watch for a late surge here down the home stretch of the season and someone who could maybe win a match or two with that form, with that momentum at the 2024 Australian Open. You also have the Svida man, Zachary Svida, two-time Kalamazoo champion, a guy who we've seen play in a couple of U.S. Open main draws as such, the soon-to-be 21-year-old but still currently 20 American into the top 100. He's currently sitting at a new career high of 165 right now in the live rankings. He backs up last year's Tiburon Challenger title run with a defense of his title, a win over the rising former Tennessee All-American Adam Walton. Walton right now, 24 years old in his now. He's played a full year of pro tennis. He's in year number two, about halfway into year number two. He's 172 in the world. He's making Challenger finals repeatedly now. I mean, Walton's just so, he doesn't have a weakness. 
Adam Walton. Now, he doesn't have the biggest weapons either. He is an elite athlete, elite fluidity. And again, another final for him. It's been a really good run for his fellow Aussie, Tristan Schoolkate, who, 22 years old, again, rock solid off both wings. He's at a career high, 245 in the live rankings. He gets knocked out in the semifinals by uh, Walton Sfida, an impressive victory over another rising All-American, Alexi Galarno, who's currently sitting at 183 in the live rankings, the 24-year-old, 21 spots off his career high. But again, that's an, he had just made the Columbus Challenger final, so another semifinal for him in this tight run. Lexi's hot, Walton's hot, Schoolkate's hot, Svita's hot. Again, four names to watch on the rise. Guys who you'll see in these North American events more particularly. Also keep an eye out for young American big-hitting lefty Martin Dom, who made a quarterfinal at the Challenger in Alicante. Martin Dom currently sitting at a career-high 284 in the live rankings. He's a 20-year-old American who's just run in those circles for quite a bit of time. So a guy you got to keep an eye on down the season's home stretch. But, you know, again... With that in mind, look at who's playing this week, where they're playing. Fairfield Challenger, Spiders back in action. He gets an impressive 7-6 third set victory over USC All-American Stefan Destanich in round one. You know, again, he's back in action. Lexi did get knocked off by Brandon Holt, but I don't think any of us would consider that a bad loss. You have Schoolkate, a win over Dennis Kudla. Adam Walton actually knocked out by rising Stanford sophomore All-American Nishesh Basavaredi, a former late petite AS champion. Lerner Tien, two-time Kalamazoo champion, this year's Kalamazoo champion, former USC. Actually, wasn't an All-American, but he did just spend five months at USC. He knocks off second-seeded top 200 player Nicholas Moreno de Elberon after coming through qualifying just to get into the main draw. So, Watch. Lerner could beat Mitchell Kruger tomorrow, make his first challenger quarterfinal. Lerner Tian right now sitting at a career high 599 in the live rankings is the 17-year-old. You look at the top under 18 players right now in the ATP rankings. Gabriel DeBruz, number one, 327. Martin Ladalouse, Ladalouse, 553. Lerner Tian, 599. Third highest ranked under 18 player right now in the ATP rankings for those of you curious. And for what it's worth, again, you look at the next gen race, which is something we always like to keep our eye on uh, here as well. A bunch of guys in action across the board. You have Alex Mickelson, who with a win at the Fairfield Challenger this week, could crack the top 100. Mickelson right now sitting at 10th in the next-gen race, but you subtract top two, Carlos Alcaraz, Holger Runa, who I would be shocked to see play the next-gen event. That would move Mickelson up to 8th, and he's currently 43 points ahead of 11th or 9th place Frenchman Arthur Cazot. Right now, the group, assuming no Alcaraz Runa, would be Shelton, Musetti. And by the way, I don't know if Musetti's going to play either. But Shelton, Musetti, Fee, Van Asha, Stricker, Medvedevich, Kabali, and Mickelson. It's a pretty good group. If I had my say, I'd probably throw Dino Prismich into that group instead of Kabali. Maybe Jerry Shang would be knocking on the door of a spot as well. I mean, again, there are a bunch of really good, young, talented players. No disrespect to Svida or others who we've seen have runs, but 
yeah, again, it's a big week for Mickelson as he tries to hold on to that spot. And again, a bunch of former All-Americans. The GOAT, Stevie Johnson, former NCAA singles champ Ty Kwiatkowski, All-Americans in Skander Mansouri, Alex Richard, Brandon Holt, Tennis Sandgren. A lot of guys in action in Fairfield. We'll keep our eye on that. Certainly some big names competing elsewhere around the globe. You've got in the Malaga Challenger, uh, Pablo Carreño Busta continuing to look to return to form. He's still alive in that event, although top seed Roberto Bautista Agu knocked out in round two by qualifier Billy Harris. You also had second seed Roberto Carbez Baena knocked out in round number one by talented young Italian Matteo Bellucci. Albert Ramos, the number five seed in that event, unsurprisingly, actually not favored. It's Pablo Carreño Busta who's favored, but given he hasn't played much of late, you take that with a grain of salt. I'll also be watching the Shenzhen Challenger. Tanasi Kokonak is the top seed, but a bunch of top 100 players in action. Pedro Kashin, uh, third seed in Nudno Borges as well. I'm also keeping my eye on Alexander Kovacevic, the former Illini All-American, looking to make a push towards the top 100. And then, of course, the Bratislava Challenger. Dominic team going to take on former Kentucky All-American Gabriel uh, Gabriel Gabriel Diallo in round number two. Diallo's making a top 100 push. It's when, not if, because his size, his athleticism, his weapons, there's just going to be a place for him in the top 100 at some point. It's when, not if. Martin Dom wins his first round match there. He came through qualifying just to get into this main draw. Again, has started to play some of his best tennis of his career, unsurprising given he's 20 years old. But those are just some challenger things I've been pondering of late, wanted to bring them to all of your attention as well. That said, that's everything from what was, in my opinion, again, a surprising Wednesday in the pro tennis world. Now, the best part about that is Wednesday moves to Thursday, Thursday to Friday, and we will have so many more results as the rest of this week continues. Of course, we will be here on this show to continue to break it all down for all of you tennis fans. Of course, a shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout-out, as well, to our dear friends at Tennis Point. It's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world with that said for the fantastic super producer daniel westoff our friends at tennis point from all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you know what we say that's the break we'll talk to you all tomorrow thanks everyone